right, everybody, welcome back to the Crypto 101 podcast. We got a very special guest. Uh, man, this one's going to be exciting. A former CFO of Binance, uh, which is currently, uh, I think, the world's largest exchange for cryptocurrency, uh, but might not be for long. Uh, Wei Zhao has, has since left and is now the CEO and, and main shareholder of Coins.ph, which is the largest crypto exchange in the Philippines and maybe soon the world. Who knows? Way, welcome <laughs> to the Crypto 101 podcast. Sure. Thanks for having me. Really. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was funny. Right before the show, uh, I was saying, you know, man, I recognize you because uh, I saw you back in 2019 and really uh, in Singapore. Binance had a big uh, conference and there was like, you know, the very first time that like uh, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried kind of came out and launched Alameda, and you know, so we go back. Yeah, that was uh, that was like you remember that was like the dead of the bear market. That was literally like dead the of the bear of- market. It was the uh, the sort of like the world is like crypto has ended. ETH is like under a hundred. <laughs> crypto yeah. was dead, right? Substratum, Substratum was shorting Ethereum with their treasury at eighty bucks. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> And and then uh, I had joined uh, I had joined Binance in the summer of 2018, uh, and then uh, so I was I was a little bit um, sheltered I think from sort of the market uh, crashing I think from like second half of 17, and then um, and then my role there was uh, I basically built up the uh, the investment business there, so I sort of led a lot of the M and A, and then sort of also started building up the fiat business there. So like my title was a CFO. But uh, but it's more of like a, what I call like a growth CFO rather than an accounting CFO. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, what, what's the statistic about Binance? Was it the fastest company to a billion dollars in profit ever, or the fastest to a billion dollar uh, uh, yeah, valuation? I, mean, I think uh, I think the word that I would use organization because <laughs> the company the company concept I don't think was uh, was really preached from day one. But as an organization, I think they built a bunch of stuff, right? Um, I think, you know, they, they built, uh, and then, uh, you know, and they introduced a lot of people in the developing world, I think into crypto. So, um, it's kind of, yeah, they really are, you know, an international powerhouse and, uh, they, they do a lot of, a lot of work internationally with charities as well as just onboarding, um, all sorts of different, you know, fiat currencies into crypto. So, um, love what they're doing. Um, and, and I'm excited to hear about, Kind of your journey uh, that led you to to be the CEO of, of Coins.ph again, one of the largest uh, or the largest exchange in the Philippines. Um, tell us about this move. Um, what made you want to jump from uh, being the CFO at Binance uh, to this new venture? Yeah, sure. Um, so I left Binance in the summer of 2021. And then after I left, I think it took some time to basically decompress and chill out and then sort of like return to reality, you know, coming. <laughs> like yeah, coming after the, the crazy okay. price moves of 2021. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, was, it was just, yeah, it was, it was 2021 was a good year, right? So yeah. um, and at that point, there was, uh, you know, uh, coins uh, had been owned 100% by an Indonesian ride-hailing company called Gojek. Right. And then Gojek uh, wanted to divest out of uh, Philippines and divest out of sort of like, you know, payment crypto altogether and focus on Indonesia, which is their home market and the core business, which is right hailing e-commerce. So there was a, they wanted to spin it off. And then I had known about coins for a bit because, um, you know, when I was at Binance, I was actually doing global expansion and then, um, you know, global acquisition of basically exchanges and building up fiat and building up licensed businesses around the world. So, so I had known about it. And then um, I had known about Philippines as well, just because, you know, 
Um, it was actually one of the hottest countries, you know, globally in terms of crypto adoption, in terms of NFT adoption, in terms of Web3 gaming. So mm-hmm. I basically I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, like a, like a Venn diagram of like a uh, cool country, lots of people, uh, uh, massive opportunity in terms of adoption and uh, clear and transparent, uh, clear and transparent and uh, regulation on crypto. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's a licensed business that has licensed not just in um, cryptocurrency exchange from the central bank, but also it's an e-wallet. So it's kind of like a Venmo plus a Coinbase uh, plus a remittance plus like a, a like a Western Union because it has a West remittance business as well. So basically, you're basically we're basically hitting at a country that has already you know pretty good adoption, but potential use case wise, like people have been talking about remittance, but here it is, Philippines, the fourth biggest remittance intaking country in the world, right? And then we can actually right. you know put crypto rails into it, right? At the same time, it's also like you know the biggest Web three gaming country in the world, and then you know they need fiat on ramps and off ramps. Right. They need to basically get yeah. the money in. What if they earn money playing games and they get that money out and spend it? So we have this up op- and it also, you know, already has a ten plus million registered user base. Uh has about, you know, a couple of million, you know, about five million sort of like, you know, monthly active users in its app. So I feel like this is an Damn. amazing opportunity for us to basically, you know, buy at that point, basically, you know, um, you know, to buy it out of buy it out of Gojack and then basically, you know, uh, build it up. Right. Take and then what I call basically, you know, use Philippines as I, I wouldn't even call it a proof of concept, but basically build a success, successful use cases, right? Build successful business, new business models, and then basically figuring out if we can replicate that in other regions, right? All of that. Uh, meanwhile, doing all of that under a licensed and regulated environment. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's something that um, a lot of people have talked about, but I don't think anyone's sort of really dabbled into just because I think uh, no, people from sort of, I would say, the unregulated world uh, tend to have difficulties operating in a regulated environment, right? It's like, it's like saltwater and fresh. If you're a saltwater fish, you know, you're trying to do it. For, it's really hard for you to become a freshwater fish overnight, right? So, um, so, I think, so I think that that's sort of like uh, – and, 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 uh, and I took on an opportunity uh, and then we finished uh, and I partnered up with a, an, ac- uh, uh, an acquisition fund called Joffrey and, uh, and we, uh, we basically bought out uh, Gojek Steak. And we got regulatory approval March of last year. So we're coming on the one year sort of like, you know, one year point in terms of the deal. So that's that's sort of like the backstory in terms of how we came upon it. And then uh, and we uh, and I sort of like, you know, um, and then, you know, they trusted me enough to have enough experience in the industry uh, to basically fund me. And then, um, you know, I, I obviously put some personal capital into the business as well. Uh, and then I uh, took on the CEO role uh, for about a year now at CoinsPH. Love it. Now, I, I really do want to focus, uh, you know, I guess the first part of the conversation on, on mm-hmm. that regulation, um, just because, you know, I'm over here in the States. A lot of our audience is in the States, but, you know, we do have a good chunk um, that's in Asia and Europe as well. And regulation for crypto is obviously different literally every single country you go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like, you know, the, the West has been pretty resistant um, to a lot of like, you know, the Bitcoin ETF and a lot of this stuff. And some countries in Asia have been a lot more friendly, um, like the Philippines, for example. Like the fact that you could have this all-in-one business, it's perfect. It, you know, it's moving great. Um, you know, you've got uh, great relationships with regulators. Like that's really not a story that's ever told from like a, a builder of an exchange in America. Why yeah. is that? What's the big difference between building an exchange in America versus elsewhere? Yeah. Um- uh, I think it's um, so. Sort of when I was looking at it, I mean, I learned a lot of this during my time at Binance. Is like, I think people talk about East West, 
But I think in crypto is actually global north versus global south. It's basically mm-hmm. the have countries versus the have not countries. Uh, and the have mm-hmm. countries, they basically have already an established, like it's basically, I mean, uh, I don't want to point fingers specifically to the U.S. because it's probably true in some of the other, you know, more developed countries as well, is that they have incumbents to protect or they have, right. <laughs> or they not even to protect, they have incumbents that are quite, that have sort of like, they see, they see the same thesis behind Bitcoin and blockchain, right? Except they, they, they come at it to be like, I need to protect my future from this. (laughs) (laughs) They they come at it completely from a different angle. And these are the have countries, right? Mm. And that's where we see much stronger resistance from the top down, right? Whereas I think in the global South, and, and these are not quote unquote have not countries, but these are just basically countries that don't have the legacy infrastructure, right? That do not, mm-hmm. that do not have, that have, you know, had some, some chaos, you know, with its financial system or just, um, you know, people are, because I think uh, fundamentally, I think what I find globally at the working level, I sort of like the, 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 the sort of the normal people are generally interested in this new technology and they want to try it out and they want to use it and they want to figure out how to own it. Right. But the thing is, is that if you have sort of like a big, if you have sort of like, you know, government on top saying, Hey, this thing is bad, evil and scary. People just tend to run away from it. Right. But I think mm-hmm. in the developing countries, one, you don't really have like, um, incumbents, right. That are sitting at top, basically, you know, dictating the future of the financial system. Right. That's one. And two, um, the, the risk of people sort of like the risk appetite may be a little bit different as well, just because it's a much younger population, right? If you look at the Philippines for say, you know, half of the population are under the age of 30, right? <laughs> that's massive. Wow. Right? That's yeah, incredible. Like, that's like, it's got like one of the most beautiful, like, uh, demographic bell curves you've ever seen. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah it's, it, and in these countries where there's like a much larger, much longer, larger, younger audience, and the sort of the financial incumbents are not as established and are not as powerful, then basically crypto can take shape in a much more organic way, right? And and yeah. and, and, uh, and practical way. I think I think that's that's the that's the word that I would use in terms of describing regulation. I think in, in Southeast Asian country, that's not just the Philippines. That's in Thailand. That's in Indonesia. And you're kind of seeing it in um in uh, I think in I think Australia is actually a pretty clear example. There's actually you know, five or six, I would say, not thriving, but five or six exchanges down there. And they all work with banks in a pretty transparent way, right? And um, that's just because they have had, you know, a registration system for, for, national, for national exchanges down there for, since like 2016, 17. And then it's been worked. And nobody's really come down to be like, blah, 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 right? And because and I, yeah. I, I think to operate in a regulated world, you know, in any business, you need two things. You need what I call you need transparency. Like I need, so, so I need to know what the rules are and I need certainty <laughs> and I need to know that rules aren't going to, you know, go left and right depending on sort of, you know, whatever results happen, right? Like these two things, you, that's how you need to operate a business, right? And the fact that sort of like, you know, Philippines have come out with uh, va- what they call VASPs, uh, virtual asset service provider. They've have had VASP regulations. Uh, the previous iteration is called virtual currency exchange, VCE. They've had sort of, you know, rules regulating cryptocurrency exchanges since 2016, right? So, so like the rules have been around. They may, they may sort of play around with the edges depending on sort of, you know, what global players do. But what, behind these rules, you can actually operate a licensed business. Uh, and, be, and because like my regulator is the same as the banking regulator, so I'm, I'm regulated by the central bank, the BSP. These are the same guys that regulate the EMIs, the e-wallets, and the banks. 
then it's actually, you know, there, obviously there are banks that still don't bank crypto in Southeast Asia, but there are certain banks that do bank it. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, and th- that has been a pretty healthy relationship. So, um, so yeah, so, so I think it's just basically like the global South, I think in general have been much more practical with, uh, with crypto. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and mainly the other, the other big thing that I find is sort of like, if you look at sort of what's going on in Singapore is just that when you have like a wealthy country, the government's much more about protecting the wealth. But if you're coming from like, you know, like a low GDP per capita country, then it's more about creating wealth. Um, so, so I think, so I think when people look at crypto and they see this, you know, new technology that can actually cre- create wealth, um, for its population, then and, and also you know, and then it's there's less I would say, you know, less hurdles, um, vis-a-vis sort of like you know North America per se. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Absolutely. No, it it makes me, it kind of reminds me of um, like the the telecom industry in Africa, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it it basically there's no cable that's laid in Africa. There's no like telephone wires. They went straight to wireless. Like everybody mm-hmm. has a cell phone, even if they don't have a job, mm-hmm. but you know, they do. And, and that was unheard of like in America. Like America started with wired because the incumbents had laid cable, right? And so there was mm-hmm. a little bit of resistance to cell phone adoption. Um yeah, I mean, and so they and Africa yeah. leapfrog. Right. And so I think that they're going to leapfrog from barter, which they're basically on right now. And then there's going to be uh, the gap of like they're not going to have like our same credit card sort of in, uh, infrastructure, but they're going to leapfrog straight to crypto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like that's like pretty similar to what I because I, I lived in. So I lived in China from 2005 to 2016 ish. And mm-hmm. then basically what you saw is like China completely bypassed PC and laptop went straight to mobile. Right. right, like, yeah, like they just, just like it went straight to mobile. Like, like people still right. use laptop for work, but nobody will bust out a laptop and like you know and watch videos on it. Right, it's all done on mobile. Right, mm-hmm. nobody really plays. You know, there's some some hardcore games where people went straight to mobile in terms of gaming and uh, and daily use. Right, so that's why I think like you know there's the the it's sort of similar. Right, I think the infrastructure is being yeah, built. and there wasn't there probably wasn't a huge amount of resistance from the incumbents of Chinese PC makers, right? Because they were all in the states, exactly. and that's why. The states had a little bit more resistance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's, that's like when there's nothing there, when there's like, you know, just like an un, just like a barren field, it's much easier right. to develop uh, versus if you have sort of like, you know, like a, already like you know, already the rails and, and, and you're basically an alternative to the existing rails. So, um, yeah. Totally. No, that's spot on. Um, yeah. I think that's sort of the bigger philosophical question. Um, I think sort of like the practical answer is, is that um, I, like, like, when, when, like, you know, when we talk to the regulars, I think. They read the same articles that we do. I mean, but the thing is, is they have their network, right? Our network is the crypto sort of like the bro network and their network is sort of like, you know, the regulator network, right? And, 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 and obviously right. I think they're going to be there. Uh, I'm, I'm very cautious about sort of the trickle down effect from the U.S., right? Because at the end of the day, a lot of the other regulators in the world in different jurisdictions still look up to the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I do think that, you know, with a sort of, I would say more crypto friendly regime in Europe and, uh, in the UK, 
right? With FCA sort of, if the US is like the big dog and FCA sort of like, you know, the UK is sort of like the next, you know, and then in the EU, it's like, if they come down, you know, if they f- f- copy what the US did, then I think, you know, that's kind of kind of like a depressing feature. But if they, if they provide an alternative, which I sort of see possible happening, then I think, you know, the rest of the world can have sort of like, they can choose, you know, which direction or, or they can sort of just choose to stay doing what they're doing. Right. Yeah. But and, and it does seem like there is some uh, court cases that are being fought. I mean, literally, the SEC is getting sued by Grayscale right now for uh, mm-hmm. blocking the spot ETF. But they granted uh, the futures ETF. And yep. so I, I think that, you know, um, there's going to be some court precedent that could you know maybe get some more friendly crypto regulation. I know that Coinbase was in the Supreme Court literally today mm-hmm. uh, yeah. talking about mm-hmm. some stuff. Ripple, you know, they're going to get a resolution here. So, you know, there could be some, hopefully some positive yeah, I mean, push. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think like, if you look at US, that's why it's a try sort of like, you know, tricameral system, right? Or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, there's the balance of power, right? You have SEC uh, and all these like regulators, they all sit under the executive branch, right? If there's no congressional action, we also have the courts, <laughs> right? right? In the US, right? Like the courts is like, if there's no congressional action on the interp- on new rules, then the interpretation of the existing rules aren't actually solely sit in the jurisdiction of the executive branch, right? There's right. actually can actually go to the judicial branch to basically get interpretations on existing laws and existing rules and regulations, right? Pending sort of you know Congress passing new laws and regulations, which is I think what we're looking for, um, or, or or you know I think the industry looking for it, but I think it doesn't seem like anything's going to happen on that side <laughs> in the. Damn it. So, yeah. yeah. Anyhow. Where, where, yeah. where do you think we're at right now in terms of, uh, you know, the market cycle? Um, you think we're, you know, you could take it from a macro standpoint, looking at where we're at, maybe uh, this flood of uh, liquidity in the markets right now from the Fed and PBOC and BOJ. Everybody's printing right now. Um, where do you think we're at in the market cycle? Yeah. Um I think like one thing that's really neat is that uh, crypto is like sort of like um, our our marketplace. Given that it trades twenty four seven, given it's actually you know the the world is actually linked into it, right? It's not like equity. It's like sort of like separate pools of capital, right? That trades with each other. This is actually the truest form of like global liquidity, all trading uh, you know one single asset class twenty four seven. Uh, totally. We are actually like the leading, leading indicator. <laughs> Bitcoin, yeah, big like, time. like sort of what happened in 2021 and 2022 when the Fed, before before even Fed started hiking rates, sort of like Bitcoin was the first to go, right? Then, right. <laughs> right. And from 65 oh. all the way down to whatever. And then, and then crypto was the first to go, right? And then, and then obviously there was sort of like, you know, uh, what I call like in-house issues we had to deal with as an industry, right? In terms of the frauds, in terms of the, you know, the leverage, uh, in terms of sort of like the massive deleveraging event that we saw last summer. I think we're seeing that in the traditional financial system now because <laughs> yeah. everything is about deleveraging, right? And then duration mismatch. And uh, and uh, it's basically, you know, you got a bunch of people wanting to withdraw their capital and then found out that, hey, <laughs> I can't withdraw my capital for whatever reason, right? I, I feel like, <laughs> like that's never fun. <laughs> like, didn't we? Had that in the crypto world from you know and for we've that so many times right do we have that like and then it got replayed here right and then but what's beauty what I really like about crypto is that we solved that with market 
right? Without any interference from third party, right? And then we realized that, hey, the centralized lending platforms are the dangerous ones. Let's get it mm-hmm. off of the centralized platforms, right? And then get self-custody, right? I think that was the biggest takeaway for all new crypto players in 2022, like the importance of self-custody. And then we're seeing that being replayed, I think, in the banking system today. It's like when you, when you, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, you know, yeah, instead of sort of like allocating your, you know, like what's what I call like instead of allocating quote unquote, uh, a per, you know, percentage of your portfolio to crypto or to Bitcoin, you should allocate a percentage of your wealth to self custody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, seriously. Think, right, like, and if that happens, then I think we're gonna have a. It's not. It won't be just like sort of like you know hot money chasing crypto. I think we're gonna have like a structural shift in terms of like actually just individuals, right? Like, and like not just rich individuals, but actually just plain old individuals wanting to custody their own wealth, right? Wanting to custody their own assets. And the first thing they're going to look at, I think, is Bitcoin, right? Just because it's, it's, it's something that everybody knows. And the next thing they're going to look at is maybe Ethereum, right? Because what does Bitcoin give you? Bitcoin gives you sort of safety and, uh, and, and, and self-custody, right? And, and what does Ethereum give you? I think with, sta- with uh, liquid staking, with the Shanghai upgrade coming up, it gives you yield. Right, a liquid yield. Mm-hmm. Right, it doesn't matter if it's two percent, three percent. It's like five percent right now, but maybe go down, but maybe go up. Right, but and and in a almost like a deflationary way. Right, I think combination of these two things, I think I think it's setting us up really well for the industry. Right, uh, um, like I think like last year was really painful, and then you start seeing I mean, what I call like even the second half of last year prior to FTX, I think we're seeing like what I call like you know green shoots. Right, things right. were actually looking up in November prior to the FTX collapse, right? and, mm-hmm. and and I think and, and you know what we digested that, <laughs> we got poor because of it, but but we survived and we you know we moved on, right? Like literally, like nobody's really ta- even talking about FTX, and that was only four months ago, right? You're, 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 can, can I ask you? I mean, candidly about that whole thing, because um, yeah, obviously sure. you and CZ are like you know acquaintances, buddies, friends. I don't know your relationship, but you worked with him for a long time. And he was really calling out Sam Bankman-Fried for all the fraud and, you know, looked at the deal for 24 hours and turned away. And people are saying um, there was a little bit of a fight. He's saying it's not a fight. What was just your perspective during the whole thing? Mm, I mean, I, uh, I, 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 I like, like, I'm probably going to get quoted on this, but I thought we're gonna, I, I went into a movie because I'm a spectator in all of this, right? I, I, I'm a, you know, you know, I have some assets on both platforms, but mainly I'm a spectator in this, right? I mm-hmm. like, um, I thought I was going to watch the Clash of the Titans, right? Right. And I, yeah, that's that's the movie that I thought I was I, I paid for, right? This is the movie that I thought I was going to watch, uh, but I ended up watching Thirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so so that was my takeaway. <laughs> Fair. So that was my experience, and then and then you know how Paper Tiger FTX and Sam was, right? Yeah. That 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 you know, like I don't think CZ did much. CZ just said, "Hey, um, I don't think their books are clean." <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, <laughs> right? yeah. But that's it. That's all he said, right? But the problem, but but I think the issue there is, is I think it comes down to sort of like CZ has massive amount of influence in the industry. Right? right, and then he has never publicly said I'm selling something before. He's always mm-hmm. been a permable, right? He's always buying, but buy- he's always he is always about buying, building, and holding, right? Yes. Like even with Luna, he's like, oh, it was worth a one plus billion in our portfolio. Now it's worth nothing, right? We never because we never right. sold it down, right? But the thing is, yeah. he's never really he's like FTT was the first token, sort of in my memory, uh, and, and BSV was the other one, right? <laughs> that he, that Binance <laughs> yeah. did, eighteen, right? 
but um, but but sort of this was the first. This was not the first token that he, but he never said sell. He just said we're just delisting it, right? But then this yeah. is like the first token where he publicly went on social media and actually said I'm selling, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, and if if FTX was you know custody one to one, then it wouldn't have been a problem, right? But it wasn't, right? And that's right. that's like um, you know that that's that was the problem. So um, yeah, yeah. So maybe. Now, it- maybe Maybe he knew something we didn't. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he he just wanted to sort of like, you know, just sort of like poke the tiger a little bit. <laughs> I don't and because I don't no. think he even realized. I don't think he even realized uh, sort of the um, the uh, uh, the totality of the fraud. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody really knew how bad it was. And yeah. I think Sam Bankman-Fried got pretty cocky. And I remember there was this one tweet. That he mm-hmm. said, um, like, oh, is CZ even allowed in Washington, D.C.? Like, snicker, snicker. And and I think that probably set CZ off a little bit because it's like, A, like, that's just like a real – it's a really rude thing to say and it's not necessarily true. And, of course, like, um, Sam Bankman-Fried was buying up all this D.C. power and spreading his own truth. And he was basically corrupting the minds of all these politicians with what his truth was. And he was painting this picture. That was probably why – CZ was getting a lot of regulatory flack and stuff because Sam Bankman-Fried spent billions of dollars building up that notion that anybody that yeah, wasn't yeah. And, FTX and was think, a bad guy. Yeah, and I don't think it was just uh, political influence; it was media influence as well. Totally right. That, yeah, that, I think the, uh, yeah, like, like I think he probably just realized an arbitrage that he could have in terms of yep. basically shape, shaping um, how people think and then how decisions are made and then how policies are made. And then uh, I think he just sort of short short tracked that. Um, short circuited that, and uh, mm-hmm. and then basically, you know, like got a lot of, you know, got built a, uh, I think built, just built built something that uh, around built a certain image, built a certain notion of, you know, what it is, and then, um, yeah, and uh, and then in short, I mean, um, I think I think my takeaway is that my takeaway from that whole fiasco is just sort of like, you know, like we're here to build a trustless society. <laughs> right? Right. We're not here. We're not here. We're not here to because uh, because you tend to do that. I think in tech, I think, I think human human emotion tend to do that. You know, we 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 all we always wanted to believe in something bigger than us. Like we always wanted to believe. Like that's you know that's why cults exist, right? That's why religion exists, right? We always wanted to believe there's someone there is the all knowing, right? <laughs> like up until last week, you know, Fed played that role. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they were like <laughs> you know, they were right. Like you know, right. whoever the governor was, you followed his every single word because. That was the Bible, and the, you know that is that is the Bible of the uh, of the financial universe, right? Right. But hey, <laughs> we're all at the end of the day. You realize we're all just humans, right? Like we're, we're all human. Humans. Yeah, exactly. Why, <laughs> I think they more than blinked. <laughs> they cl- they're still closing their eyes. They're just like still eyes closed. <laughs> no, no. I just sort of like I just got that like a deer in the headlights look. Like literally, they like when, like if you watch their testimonies in front of Congress. Literally, when a hard question comes and they're not prepared for it, it's that deer in the headlight look, and it is scary to see. Yeah, you see um, Yellen's testimony the other day. She was asked by, I think it was a Oklahoma senator or something about all the all the regional bank deposits, and she's like fluttering around, like no, she has no idea what what she's enacted or the mm-hmm. limits of it. You know, it's all it's all staging. Yeah, yeah, that's why I think that's why I think we're here to build a you know a trustless you know. Uh, encoded world, coded world, right? I think that's yeah. something that I think is like it's easier to understand. I think if you're younger, but I think if you're older, it's like it's not it's not ageism or anything. It's just tough, just because that's not the world you grew up in, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like for example, like you know, like get a little bit personal here, but like my daughter is she's six and a half years old, 
And then her favorite content to consume up until last year were like, you know, Paw Patrol and uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, and Octonauts and stuff. But about last year, she started watching uh, Minecraft videos. No, yeah, there you go. Those <laughs> are popular. Is, that is her favorite content right now, right? And like, just like, and they they're, so they're she's going to understand metaverse like way differently than me or than anybody. Yeah. Than, there's someone who's like probably like you know five to ten years even older than her, right? So um so 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 I, so I think that's just you know just we we live, I think th- and things are the pace of change I think is increasing as well, right? So um yeah like last year was like all metaverse and this year was just AI, right? So um so <laughs> yeah. yeah you were um you you'd mentioned uh, I saw an article the other day about your your argument of hyper tokenization versus hyper bitcoinization and how you think there's probably more of a a tokenization uh kind of upswing um that kind of catches fire is that because of this metaverse and and nfts or is this kind of a different concept uh uh i I think it's use cases i think i think i think i think like um uh, uh, like it's almost like uh, I don't know if you like like sort of like uh, read like or, or follow sort of Balaji Srinivas's like network state. I think it's sort yeah. of like we're we're building a new almost like a new virtual society, right? And then what do you need in a society? You need monetary of ex- you need monetary exchange, right? And then all of us are plugged in here. Like I, I never in the history of the world have like humans like just, and, like this is something that I kind of like you know I, I I'm gonna quote CZ on this is like humans have never really had financial freedom before and this is what we're here to deliver. What is financial freedom? To be able to custody and spend and use your own money in your like without a third party, right? Without going through intermediaries, right? With wallets, now that's that's like there's you know there's a ton of wallets being built, and I think wallet is going to be the gateway that basically humans are going to connect with each other and we can actually transact and trade with each other. Right? Yeah, it'll be like the new web browser. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is the browser, right? Like it yeah. is the new browser, like browser. But the browser, you basically can. Uh, get and upload and interact, right? But that's just information, right? Transa- the transaction layer, uh, the commerce layer are still dominated by credit cards and traditional financial systems and banks, right? But crypto sort of bypasses all of that, right? Like you can actually start transacting, right? And then what are you going to transact first? Obviously, obviously products that are native to that environment, right? Basically digital assets. What are digital- <laughs> NFTs, right? It is right. NFTs. And, and that's, that's what's the really interesting part. That's why I'm actually really excited about not just sort of ETH NFTs, but actually Bitcoin ordinal NFTs. Because for the mm-hmm. first time, other than Bitcoin Lightning, you actually have a use case on Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network now, right? So, and that's, yeah. that's really exciting, right? Just because, like, just because you can actually have, you know, because, uh, but, but, but any society, obviously, you need storage of value. You need to sort of like, you know, like you need to have, you know, consistency in terms of how things are quoted. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and up until today, all tokens are all still kind of quoted in dollar terms. Right. But not NFTs. NFTs is the first sort of like, you know, Web3 digital native asset that's quoted in its native currency. Right. ETH. All NFTs are right. quoted in ETH. Right. And, and that's really powerful. Right. Because 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 you because that's the only way I think for us to really get off. And I think get off sort of like the dollar quoting system. Right. Yeah. And the order of NFTs are going to be quoted in BTC. Right, people have been trying to get things quoted in BTC, but the volatility nature of it sort of takes us out of it. But hey, NFTs are quoted in ETH, right? In, in the bull market, NFTs are going like, to go pump like crazy because you get not just the ETH appreciation, you also get the natural sort of like you know prime real estate and Manhattan kind of evaluation, right? Obviously, in the bull yeah. market, it's going to 
underperformed two X as well because there's going to be less. To, you know, ETH is going to like you know that's what we saw last year, right? But in, in the upswing, I think you know we're ready for that. So what I mean by sort of like hyper tokenization, I just think that uh, NFT obviously is a type of token, right? I think there's going to be tons and tons of more of type of digital assets that's going to get printed, right? Not printed, but get tokenized, right? And that could be NFTs. That could be actually you know underlying tokens. And then what I hope for is especially you're seeing sort of layer two stuff coming out now. All of the assets on there are going to be probably denominated in ETH, right? And as ETH becomes sort of like the underlying quoting currency, uh, and then we're moving into sort of we're moving one step closer, right? Because like if you play any games, right, you're going to know that, you know, all the gaming assets in there are quoted in rubies or gold coins or diamonds, right? <laughs> right. And, that, 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 right? and that's kind of the world that we're going into, right? But in... Yeah, but with you know real value per se, right? So, yeah, that's what I meant by that. Yeah. No, I love it. And and at yeah. coins, um, at, at coins, are are you mm-hmm. guys gonna have non custodial components, or is it all centralized? Basically, how would we take the lessons that we learned uh, yeah. from the collapse in twenty twenty two and uh, mm-hmm. make a better exchange? Yeah. Um. So for us, obviously, we are. Uh, that, that that's the funny thing, is um. We get audited by our, like, what is it? Like our wallets get audited by our regulators on a quarterly basis and they come in and not, they don't, it's like, um, it's like I was a CFO for 15, 20 years. Right. And then, uh, when I ran audits, what PWC or, or the big four auditing exchanges, like I'll tell you this sort of like, this is why I'm like in love with crypto. And that's why I think it's, if regulators will just open their eyes, it's actually like a, it's amazing. <laughs> and, and like, um, you know, when I was a CFO in China, like what they do is um, the big four auditing agencies, they will send a letter, right, to the bank right? and to say, this company uh, uh, has given us permission for you to disclose their bank balance to me. <laughs> I'm an auditor, right? So for the four-year audit, the banks will basically list out the bank accounts and the balances that the company has at their bank, Right. And that's how they audit the cash balance of a bank, of, of a company, right? How outdated is that? It's a physical letter that gets sent to the bank. And then the bank comes back with a physical letter saying, yeah. this is how much balance. <laughs> that's, but that's how the process works, right? And, uh, and what happened in China is that like for one company, there's one giant fraud case in the, in the 2010s where uh, they corrupted the branch manager, <laughs> And the branch manager sent back fake sums of cash balances to like PwC, PMG, or whoever, or Deloitte. Yeah, and and they basically the balance that they had at the bank was fake, right? You like Bernie Madoff, you know, writing in fake yeah. arbitrary numbers, right? In fake numbers, right? But he corrupted the banks to basically be on his side. The company did, right? So that's the old world. That that is literally the old world that I left, right? In mm-hmm. this world, um. When I, get in, when I get audited in terms of uh, I'm on a call, right, because it's a remote, and then I basically have to log in to my wallet and show them the balance in real time. This is yeah. my customer balance right, on the left-hand side, and here's my crypto balance. Yep. That's it. That, that is, that's it. You're done. You, don't have, you don't have to trust. It's, it's already verified, right? It's, it's, it's like, right. No, it's, check it's, the chain. And, and, and this is this is a this is not a decentralized world I'm like that I'm describing right. This is basically here's my wallet. I'm in a, I'm a centralized exchange. I custody customer assets, right? Mm-hmm. I, this this is my the summation of my customers' assets 
de- that have deposited or custodied with me. And then this is basically the balance that I have in my coal and hot wallets. And the summation should match. Yeah, uh, here's your, be- uh, here's your assets and here's your liabilities, right? Your customer deposits. My, my liabilities. Boom, match right. And then match. And then I get audited, you know, quarterly. And then they, maybe they'll do spot checks as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a pretty easy way to get out of the FTX issue. Right. If you have just a regulator comes into their office and be like, open up your accounts, <laughs> show me all your cold show wallets. Show me what's inside. <laughs> show me what's inside. That's it. Right. And then uh, Wait, I got a question me. for you. Um, so, relative- so, 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 yeah. So let me finish the previous. So that's oh, yeah, yeah. sort of like, yeah. So that, that's how I think a proper regulation or custody solution should work. Right. And they should understand and the, and the, and the agencies should understand how to do that. It's not that hard. Right, yeah. I, I know which, which which gnaws at me and be like, why don't people just sort of be practical about regulating this thing, right? And because it's even because even the service providers that a lot of people use are global as well. Whether it's BitGo custody, whether it's Coinbase custody, right? We use BitGo custody, and then uh, whether it's like Fireblocks or Hotwallet, there's like even the vendors are the same, right? right? Everybody uses sort of like the same five or six you know vendors for different parts of their service offerings. Right. So, so, so sort of that's, that's, that's sort of like on the centralized side, but on the decentralized side, uh, what we've done at coins is we actually put a decentralized wallet within our app, um, such that, um, we want our users to be able to move into web three or to move into sort of self custody and decentralized world seamlessly within the coins app. Love so that. sort of that, um, initially we've launched a game center. So, cause I, cause I think, you know, like I mentioned before, Philippine has a, is a pretty massive web three gaming audience and web two as well. So we actually want to, you know, we want our users to be able to go into Web3 games, right? What do you need to play Web3 games? You need a little bit of a game token and you need maybe one or two, a couple of NFTs, right? So we're working with gaming developers to say, hey, if you want to distribute your game to our user base, you know, you're welcome to link to us and then gave our users some freebies and then let them play. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> like we'll help you get through the door and get rid of, because the biggest problem with Web3 games right now is actually user acquisition. It's just like, takes like 10 steps, right? First, buy ETH or buy, Pop, buy Matic or buy, you know, whatever. Second, convert that game into NFT. Oh, it's Third, a nightmare. Log, log into the game, right? And then, yeah. And then, it's a yeah, and once you made all that money, like, good luck getting that out. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah. So, so, so for us, we want to sort of make it seamless in terms of how you can actually input, you know, money in. And if you earn money, you can actually take money out. And maybe even spend it, and we want to make it make that all available in the in the coins app. Love that, mm. um, man! That's incredible. Um, is it available uh, to people outside of the Philippines or only in the Philippines? Uh, the app right now, uh, the app is actually so you uh, you have to be uh, we have to, it's, you know it's a KYC exchange, um, but mm-hmm. the app is available uh, in iOS and Android. Okay, and, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You can play, feel free to go to download it, play around with it. I'm not sh- uh, I think the without passing KYC, you can't sort of deposit and withdraw, so you can't trade, but you can mm-hmm. still play around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Dude, love it. And then my, my last question for you, um, way is kind of surrounding some speculation around some changing policy in Hong Kong. Uh, I'm not, mm-hmm. I know you said you lived in China and you still probably have ties there. Um, do you hear any rumblings of some changing policies for maybe institutions or retail traders in Hong Kong? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Hong Kong, I think is, uh, um, what is it? Whether they're being challenged by Singapore or whether they're getting sort of, you know, uh, waking up to web three and digital assets. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of the, uh, the the Chinese exchanges, like the legacy Chinese exchanges, uh, like Huobi, OK, I think they've all had presence in Hong Kong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even for Binance, I think we, uh, you know, there's some activities that that, that they had in uh, they had in Hong Kong when I was there. But um, the quick answer is yes, and it could yeah. be huge. Uh, I am doing a lot of uh, research on this. Um, you know, obviously have a ton of contacts there from uh, with you know within the industry, uh, but also sort of like within sort of uh, so the organization that manages cryptocurrency in Hong Kong is the SFC. It's the Securities and Futures Commission, which is interesting because it's basically like if the SFC as like in the U.S. if the CFTC and SEC merged, you basically get the Hong Kong SFC. The super regulator. <laughs> yeah, they, they, re- they regulate all things. So Hong Kong has sort of uh, two main regulators. One is the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, which is like the central bank, right? That regulates all the banks and the EMIs. And then you basically have the SFC, which is basically regulates all the investment banks and the trading. And that, that's the one that regulates the Hong Kong Stock Exchange as well, right? Um, and, and what they've done is they basically said, uh, uh, starting June 1st, you can come in and apply for our uh, VASP license, that will allow you to not just uh, that will allow you, and because it's SFC, they regulate exchanges. Um, it's actually very specific towards you can actually operate an exchange under this new regulation starting June first. Number one. Wow. Number two. Hey, guess what? This exchange only allows this license. This VASP license allows you to trade uh, utility tokens, right? But we will require you to get a Type One and Type Seven which will allow you to become a dealer and trader of securities as well, just to have your ass covered in that, in that if you do have potential security issues, like you have a type one and type seven, which basically is a securities broker dealer license or trading license. So they basically want you to be covered 360 because like, we don't know what is securities, what is utility, but let's just get you licensed for all of the above and then you can run exchange. And then wow. what they're... And then what they're going to regulate on the back end is uh, we will allow for retail to trade on your exchange, but we're going to regulate the tokens or we're going to monitor and um, potentially restrict, potentially you know, check the tokens that the retail users can trade. I think that's fair. I think that so, sounds like uh, a pretty good approach. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, and, uh, and, and I think it's actually um, once you dig into it, it's probably I, and once you start digging into it, it, make, it makes a lot of sense. It's it, like I said, it's practical. I think, but it's gonna. Um, and then if you already sort of have business in Hong Kong prior to June first, uh, the, and then we're gonna allow you to be grandfathered in to give you one year to basically you know go through your application process, mm-hmm. right? Um, so so I think, but the issue is that it is a quote unquote approval based license. It's not a registration based license. If that makes sense, okay. so they need yep. to basically, yeah, and then also, um, and then um, yeah, and I think it, it like for me, like uh, it's actually quite interesting because they added they also added obviously a lot of the uh, AML like anti money laundering um, things, so they sort of checked that box as well. So it is one of the few regulations that I've seen that actually checks all the boxes, right? Uh, and that comes down to, I think, the unique nature of the regulators in Hong Kong is that they do have sort of the securities and futures all sit under one roof such that, you know, we don't give a crap if it's a commodity or secure or whatever. It's just like we're just going to cover everything and then that's going to allow you to run exchange. So so I think – and then in, they obviously have very clear sort of custody regu- uh, custody requirements. 
uh, fit and proper requirements for the sort of the, the, the owners and the, and the directors. So, so, there's, so there's a lot of things that go into it um, wow. that I actually just, it just checks all the boxes. So, um, so it'll be very interesting to see how it works in the real world. Um, but it is something that I think people in the region are getting super excited about. Yeah. No, I, I think people in the region as well as just outside. I mean, a lot of people are starting to talk and speculate on this. And mm-hmm. yep. uh, obviously what happens in Hong Kong tends to be a little bit of a proving ground for what happens mm-hmm. in Beijing and, and broader mm-hmm. mainland China. So yep. Yep. could be could be some rippling effects. Uh, could be bullish way. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this was incredible. No problem at all. Yep. Staying bullish. <laughs> Staying <laughs> bullish. Holding, yeah. building. Uh, yeah. Man, I hope I can have you on again um, when you guys have some some big announcements or rollouts or whatever. We would love to host you. Sounds good. Cool. Take care. And thank you for joining us today. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $129 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.